from Trinity College. This is Hidden Literacies. Hello and welcome to Hidden Literacies, the podcast. On this show, we'll hear from contributors to the Hidden Literacies anthology on the sources they've selected, how they became hidden, the lessons we can learn from them, and what they reveal about the stakes of each contributor's scholarship. My name is Mary Mahoney, and I'm the Digital Scholarship Coordinator at Trinity College. On this episode, it's my privilege to bring you a conversation with contributor Jody Shorb. Professor Shorb contributed a 19th century prison narrative to Hidden Literacies that offers significance for its own time and our own. To begin, I've asked Jody to introduce herself. I'm Jody Shorb. I'm Associate Professor of English at University of Florida. I asked Jody to describe how she found the text she contributed to Hidden Literacies. I found this document at the Andover Harvard Theological Library, and they have the only extant copy that I know of, and they were very generous to partner and help make this available through the project. And I found it as I was researching for my book, Reading Prisoners, which was a study of how and when prisoners enter print culture in early America. If you browse newly released biographies and memoirs at a bookstore today, you might notice that most titles are relatively brief. This was never an inclination that troubled 19th century writers or readers. As evidence of that, listen to the title of the memoir Jody studied for Hidden Literacies. John Maroney's Narrative of the Imprisonment of John Maroney in the Prisons of New York and Auburn from 1821 until 1831, written by himself. That's one of the longer documents in the project. It was a 38-page sewn pamphlet, and it was published by Charles Cushman, who owned the local newspaper in Newburgh, New York, after a career in religious publishing. And uh, it seemed to have a, a small circulation locally in the 1830s as a print document. I've asked Jody to share the meaning of the text, its background, and what we can learn from it. Well, John Maroney was a white farmer, and he was a business proprietor, and he was sentenced at age 40 to 10 years hard labor in the state penitentiary of New York at Greenwich. And... Uh, he was sentenced uh, for what he calls an unprovoked assault on an unnamed victim after a drinking binge. And his narrative describes his experience in two of the most formative prisons at the time. They were both at the center of early prison debates, Newgate, which where he first was sentenced, and then um, he he was transferred to Auburn Penitentiary, which was uh, one of the most debated um, and controversial experiments in prison design in the early national era. So it's very, very rare that you have any accounts whatsoever of individuals that were formerly incarcerated having access after the release to the means and privilege of, of print to tell about their experiences and to narrate their experience in some kind of legible print form. So I, th I was only able to locate maybe up to 10 accounts that were published by ex-inmates uh, before 1840. And this is, this is one of them. As Jody explains, this narrative is important because it reveals John Maroney's sense of his own experience. It also says a lot about the realities of prisoner life in this era. Here we have an inmate that was 
interested in thinking about what reading and writing and education mean to someone on the inside that was directly feeling what at the t- what at at that time but it's still very present now were extreme restrictions on what inmates could read whether inmates could write so this was a subject that reformers and authorities had taken up in many of the pamphlets and endless newspaper articles and published government reports and inspectors report each year what is the role and purpose of inmate education? Should inmates read? What should they read? Should inmates be allowed to write? If so, should they be allowed to communicate with anybody on the outside world? And generally, the dominant response was inmates need extreme restrictions, extreme restrictions on writing, extreme restrictions on reading. And in the places where Moroni was held, especially Auburn, the inmates were not allowed even access to pens, pencils, tablets, anything. So this was a hotly debated topic, but you don't have inmates saying this is uh, what it meant. Now, he can't share his transparent feelings. He speaks through the kind of a loud genre of religious conversion. But he has a lot to say throughout this whole narrative about the meaning of reading and the meaning of writing practice for someone on the inside. And this was certainly not a perspective or an opinion that was seen as valued or shared. And I think that might be one reason why he was driven upon his release within one year to come and publish this account. Maroney himself reflected on the dire restrictions on literacy in prison in a quotation Jody shares with us. One of the things that you can see as you as you read through this text are the ways that Maroney discusses the impact of prison discipline that refuses inmates to, to talk or to write or to speak. And he says, I shall now proceed to the strictest rules and regulations of the prison as they are strictly enforced. The strictest rules are there shall be no talking, no laughing. We're not allowed to write or receive communications from any of their friends or any articles or any kind, not even chalk or pencils. They cut off all intercourse and made us solitary beings in the midst of more than 500 persons. And you can hear a very different sentiment there about what it means to feel like an, a silenced island in the midst of so many others. And he says later, as in the latter prison, no paper was allowed and I could not make notes or memorandums of my thoughts or feelings, let alone keeping of a journal of experience. Jody points us to the significance of this kind of reflection. And what I hear in that is he's saying, listen, the the stated theory is you you want inmates to kind of reflect on their life, and yet there's nothing. You, you've got allow you've got to allow us to, to communicate. You've got to allow us to talk like we are now. You've got to give me a piece of you know pencil or teach me teach me the way to teach inmates to read and write. If you want them to piece out their feelings and thoughts, so for him writing was really crucial to memory making. And without writing, he felt that he couldn't reflect. He felt that he couldn't even transform. And uh, not everybody's going to feel that same way, but for someone that came with some degree of literacy, this was really crippling to him. So one of the reasons why I wanted this included in a hidden literacy volume was he comes up with other ways to navigate that terrain. He starts composing poems as a way to create personal memory for himself. Um, they're not like liberatory poems per se. They're like, uh, they result from the fact that there was all these restrictions in place. And so the texture of that, like I said, the texture of what it means to be denied an access to pen, paper, books, um, leaves its mark in, in surprising ways in this text. Maroney knew what it was to be denied reading and writing in prison. 
But as Jody describes, he also knew the power a prisoner narrative could have if smuggled into the hands of other prisoners. One of the most significant things that I discovered in this text was that Maroney and fellow inmates knew of one of the other very rare texts that an inmate had published uh, some years ago. And someone smuggled a copy of this text by the other inmate in. And that's one of the aspects of hidden literacy I take up in this project is he describes how they kept a copy of this text. It was called Inside Out, an interior view of the New York State prison. They kept this in their bunks and they read from this. And they also had newspapers that were smuggled in. So even though in this particular prison they were only allowed Bibles, um, this was in Newgate, they also had all these smuggled documents. And he saw the way that, that this inmate had published something. And, had, and, he, and he cited it and he talks about its influence over him and his fate mm. in this. And uh, I thought that was really, really neat. Because we don't even know about, right now, both of those documents have forgotten, but they were, the first was very formative to, to Moroni. By Moroni's own account, the restriction on literacy hindered his ability to complete the kind of reflection and rehabilitation prison reformers imagined. Discipline positioned prisoners as, quote, a silenced island in the midst of so many others, as Jody describes. As she explains, the ideas of literacy and discipline her work explores in the past has real resonance today. 1820, like 2020, the voices and perspectives of prisoners are suppressed. They're heavily controlled. What they read is controlled. Uh, whether they can communicate with family, friends, the free world, controlled. The, the U.S. produces more prisoners than any other nation. It incarcerates a higher percentage of individuals than any other nation. And prisoner voices, I think, are, the word hidden does work. I mean, it's, it's not, it's by design. <laughs> uh, they are devalued. They are seen as unreliable and, or, or not insightful sources of information about how even to reduce recidivism or to make better prisons. And so these inmates then were thinking about that. These ideas drive her work as a scholar. This item, I think is really central to my work, which is interested in life writing as a, as a genre and how various individuals that we don't necessarily think of having a large archive were able to work uh, and think through what existing forms were out there and to try to make themselves legible. So as a scholar in early American literature who's interested in thinking about the importance of life writing, this kind of document really, I think, is so valuable to spend some time with and to think about what could in instruct us on why should we read it now. By way of closing, Jody poses further questions that may help us think with Moroni's text and what it can tell us about the past and the present. How did those that were imprisoned imagine a future beyond those walls? How did those that were sentenced to 10 years in a cell with no access to other people were there any ways or forms of meaning that they have to think about a future without a prison? Can we look to any writing across the antebellum and early years as foundational to thinking now about contemporary debates about not just mass incarceration, but prison abolition? Can we think of the very first inmates as theorists in any kind of way for critical prison studies now? Jody Shorb is Associate Professor of English at University of Florida, where she is affiliated with the Center for Gender, Sexuality, and Women's Studies Research. 
She's the author of Reading Prisoners, Literature, Literacy, and the Transformation of American Punishment, and currently co-convenes Intersections, Mass Incarceration, an interdisciplinary Grand Challenge grant organized by the University of Florida's Center for the Humanities in the Public Sphere and supported by the Andrew W. Mellon Foundation. Hidden Literacies is a production of Trinity College, edited by Hilary Wiss and Christopher Hager, with support from the English Department and Information Services, with technical support by Mary Mahoney, Joelle Thomas, and Kate Kennedy. This podcast was produced by me, Mary Mahoney, with the support and permission of the contributors to Hidden Literacies. For more information on Hidden Literacies and to explore the texts and commentaries described here, please visit www.hiddenliteracies.org.